0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here, ready to have another conversation that I hope makes your business grow. Now, if you know me or if you listen to this show long enough, You know, I'm honest. You know, I am upfront. I like to tell it like it is. There's a lot of reasons for that. Some of it has to do with my personality. Some of it has to do with the fact that I just think that's the way that things get done. So as usual, I brought in some support and brought in some people to help me or a person to help me define some of that. Now, before I introduce him and get too far into this, today's episode of Start a Puzzle is brought to you by FullScale.io, where we'll always give you the real truth. We'll give you good advice about building a software team quickly and affordably. On that subject with me today is Peter Cazadoi. Now, Peter is a TEDx speaker, and he is also the author of the book, Honest to Greatness. Peter, welcome to Start a Puzzle.
1: Awesome to be here, Matt.
0: I appreciate you having me now. Are you have you letting me have you on the show? I should probably like we, can ha- we can have each you can other be by the end. Honest. You, you know can be honest is. to greatness there. You can say, DeCourcy, get your shit together. I'm the guest. You're the host. It doesn't matter because we're going to have a conversation. So we don't really look at it like that. So maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. Now, you know, honest to greatness. I love the title. And I Thank am you. looking forward to talking about this, as mentioned. I lay it on people. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. We'll get into that. But let's start with a little bit more about you.
1: Sure. So um, I was a longtime figure skater. Believe it or not, that was my background. And um, we'll talk about kind of the epic failures that came out of that a little later. But uh, got out of undergrad in 2008, you know an awesome time to start a company right um but i was always one of those kids that was like well i can do it better than you so i'm just gonna do it right and bravado and ego and so started my first company with my business partner at 22 not having any idea what we were doing went tens of thousands of dollars into debt um, and ended up over many pivots later, actually growing in uh, a, a multi million dollar multinational marketing agency that was on the Inc 5,000 list of fastest growing companies in America for a couple of years in a row. We ended up working with startups to the fortune 500 and even through a party for Warren Buffett, I ended up accidentally serving as his bodyguard, which back to the figure skating thing is pretty funny. I'm like five, seven on a good day. Um, and now branched out into all kinds of other things, uh, real estate tech, I coach Hundreds of entrepreneurs and absolutely love that, helping them build their own seven figure business. And now I have masochistically written a book about honesty, which, uh, as you'll learn over the course of our time together, Matt, surprises me every day.
0: Well, t- tell me why. Tell me why that surprises you.
1: Well, you know, I, if you knew me, well, let me put it this way for those who knew me when I was like a teenager or young 20s, I was. I was quite an asshole like I'm not gonna sugarcoat that like I was a real jerk like for me to be the one to talk about honesty and transparency and empathy would surprise anyone who knew me then I had to learn all those things I had to learn the power of vulnerability I had to learn these by being humbled over and over by business failures and the reason it surprises me even now is because I actually never set out to write about speak about or frankly even care about honesty it came out of my frustration working with companies for, you know, well over a decade and having this weird phenomenon that I could never explain. You know, we would go into some companies as our, as our agency, and we're sort of part consultants, part marketing folks. So we'd work, you know, with their executive teams to unearth insights from their frontline employees and their customers, and we'd bring all that back and say, like, okay, here's what they're saying. And now here's why we should do this campaign, go forward. And some of those companies, Matt, would take those strategies and just like crush it. They would get like five, six times ROI, love us, stay with us for years. Others blew up on the launch pad. Like they just descended into politics and infighting and denial and ego and bullshit. And I was like, what the hell? I mean, I, you know, in every elective class I could take at undergrad, I took at the business school and business made sense to me. I was like, oh, spreadsheets, revenue, profit, loss, expenses. Like this is all very logical. It floored me to come out into these C-suites and see that from small to, you know, billion dollar companies, they don't operate on logic. They operate on all kinds of other stuff. And in my mind, it's just simply dishonest. Meanwhile, I tell story after story in my book of companies who do get honest about these things, these inner workings, these tendencies towards bias and ego and self-limiting beliefs. And because they eliminate those things, they absolutely crush their competition and get way more profitable Than anyone else just simply by doing something we all learned when we were like four years old
0: so you know that's interesting that you say that because i i i I agree um well i agree and disagree on some levels uh i agree with the fact that companies that seem to have now you say honesty i might also use words like direct or fearless Mm -hmm. or you know like just The truth. Uh, I I have written two books with the word realist in the title. Um, So I often, for me, the word honesty might also be realism. You know, there's Mm -hmm. optimism and there's realism. They are very different. And one of the things I run into a lot with, you know, entrepreneurs in the beginning and startup founders in the beginning are really uh, always should be hopeful and optimistic. And that is an important part of our nature. At the same time, a level of realism does need to exist. And I mentioned at the top of the show, and for those that know me, uh, if my my wife might actually listen to this episode, which is rare. So honey, I hope you enjoy it. Because no one tells me that I'm more brutally honest sometimes than she is. But I think that sometimes the best service and the most efficient path to a reasonable outcome is that realistic approach. And, you know, here's the thing is, is I'm doing you, if you're an entrepreneur and you come to ask me about your quote business idea. And I tell you, I'm like, I think you're going to have a lot of trouble, Peter. I think you're going to struggle. I think that there's competition that you're not ready to handle. And I think you're grossly undercapitalized, which is going to, you mentioned earlier, you're like, I started a business and I racked up a shitload of debt. That's going to happen to you. And your path to success is going to be rough. It's going to be rocky. And it's probably very unlikely. Now, yep. that would be an example of an honest or truthful round of feedback. Is that fair? Very fair. Okay. So now some people would get hurt by that. They get upset. That's right. So, so let's talk about that. Yeah, because yeah. that's, that's what we should talk about. And, and you know, yeah. like, is, is that fair? Now, for me, I disclaim, I disclaim, like, if you say, hey, man, I'd like to talk to you about whatever, I will literally say I have two rules when I do this. One, I'm not going to argue with you whether I'm right or you're right or who's right or wrong at the end. And then number two, refer back to rule one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, because so that, that, yeah.
1: Do so you actually do folks a service and you do your relationships a service when you when you have those those prefaces, you, what you're really doing, Matt, is setting the ground rules. And that's actually a wonderfully honest way to do what I call not only being honest, but pointing to the honesty. Hey, you deserve for me to be honest and direct with you. It's going to save you time. It's going to whatever, money. Um, so, you know, is that okay? And when you set the table, actually, most times it is okay with folks, but you have to prepare their delicate egos for it. Now, you know, This point you raise is extremely important because a lot of folks on these interviews that I do are like, you know, should we just blurt out whatever comes to mind? Is that honesty? And I think what's most important here is to talk about what honesty is not. One of the CEOs in my book makes a great point, which is if you're flying in an airplane and the pilots come over the intercom and they say, well, folks, uh, we've never seen storm clouds like that before. So please put on your seatbelts and we'll uh, hope to make a safe landing. Is it honest? Yeah. But is it helpful? No. No. You know, honesty is only as good as the trust that it creates. You know, by the way, that's why we have such mayhem going on in the pandemic here in 2020. We have no, you know, no one's guiding us on who to trust. We're getting conflicting reports from every direction. That is what erodes. And that's when we need honesty the most. So there are ways that we can actually use feedback in one of my favorite devices that I had to learn, which is feed forward. And the reason I had to learn it is because I, unlike you, Matt, didn't realize this setting the table thing when I was young, and I consistently offended people. And I would just, and my my thought process was, well, that's the truth. So, what do you mean you're offended? That seems like your problem. Well, it wasn't their problem; it was my problem because I needed to be a better communicator. By the way, I was in the communications industry, so it probably made sense for me to figure out, right? So, I one that problem I too, used... though.
0: I had that problem too, though. It took me a lot, a lot of years to finally add the disclaimer and the reason Mm -hmm. I did was because people were like upset they'd be mad at me and whatever and like that was part of it I'm like because I don't want you to be mad at me when I give you the honest truth now that's right I might be right I might be wrong I don't know but if you want my opinion that's it but yeah it was I I mean it was after a year it was after years of like pissing people off. And I was like, Hey, you asked, I will tell you. So, well,
1: well, so what's interesting is
0: we're feeding it.
1: Yeah. Well, part of honesty isn't just being honest with people. It's also being honest about them, about what they're really asking. Like, are they really, Asking for your opinion, or are they seeking validation, or are they seeking, you know, confirmation of what they already believe? Most often, it's the latter, not the former. And so, one device I found really interesting is feed forward. And what we do is say, like, you know, if you ask me, like, hey, what do you think of this? I say, well, you know, what would you think if we did it this way, or this way, or this way? If we if we move that forward a couple pegs, what do you think your business would look like if, if we did that? Now what's happened is we're talking about a future state that has not occurred yet, and therefore it can be no one's fault. Whereas feedback is always, well, you did this, and now here is the judgment I'm putting on it. Very difficult for our delicate egos to take. Now, one thing I love that you said, Matt, earlier was the direct path is the most efficient path. And I literally make a point in my book that's very important because there's been all this study about cultures and how people perform better when you give them positive feedback, right? I don't want folks out there to mistake that for thinking that like feedback is bad or wrong. Feedback is the most direct way to get from A to B. We just have to be honest about why it doesn't work all the time. And that is because of our delicate egos. And I think to your point, you know, in all the, if I look back on all the cultures I've been involved in, you know, clients I've had, businesses I've studied, the ones who are direct, the ones who do eliminate the BS and having to work around people's egos and all that crap, of course they achieve more faster. It's logical. And the more we can return our business practices to logic, the better we will do.
0: So I used to work, before I owned my own businesses, I worked for a Japanese company at Roland. They're the world's largest maker of electronic musical instruments. If you've ever owned a guitar pedal or a keyboard, it was probably- I had a, a ever, keyboard if, from them, yeah. If you ever played Nintendo, they licensed all the sounds uh, for Nintendo. They've mm. been around for a while. But I learned a lot about this approach working for that company. Because in Japanese business, they are, you want to talk about- Uh, honest and upfront. They are brutal. Like here, if if someone stands up and just has the shittiest idea ever in a group, (laughs) people are like, okay, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll run, we'll run the numbers on that. And a lot of Japanese companies, they will literally say this, say, Peter, that's probably the worst idea I've ever heard. Not only are you not prepared, you are wasting my time. Mm -hmm. And that's not uncommon. Like that, so now that said, they don't come over, they wouldn't come over here and do that. But we, that was my first real taste at that honest forward, like, and it was that feed forward kind of attitude. It was like, okay, but if we do that, if we take that approach, we're going to learn that it's going to catch on fire for nine different reasons. And, but with, with this honest and straightforward approach and the, the, like, let's kind of get our feelings out of the way and talk about this on the most practical level Mm -hmm. available, remarkably efficient, remarkably reliable, Um, like they make products that have a failure rate within their warranty period that is like a fraction of a percent, which is unheard of. And just talking about the efficiency and everything, and really in the end, it's very purpose-driven because they want to make the best product and have the best outcome possible. So it's, it's. but I didn't see a whole lot of ego-driven crap. So what's your advice for getting ourselves and our own egos out of the way when it comes to just the honest, the honest and truthful approach?
1: You know, it's like... It- what is what is clinging to our beliefs in the face of facts that prove them wrong? It's nothing but psychological safety, right? So I think the first step we need to take is the same step that any other addiction would take, and that's just simply be aware. You know, if my book, my message, can help people just be aware that they are lying to themselves in ways they probably never even thought about, That's a huge win, Matt, because if you're not even aware of it, you can't fix it. And after you're aware of it, I have two really powerful questions I want everyone to just carry around with them. And I want them to ask, no matter whether they're watching the news and they see a headline or Great Aunt Betty's Facebook post or a thought they have in their head, which is, is that true? And how do I know? Because so often the things we even think to ourselves aren't even true in the first place. And we never stop to question them. And you raise a great point with the Japanese companies because one of the stories I tell in the book is about TPS, the Toyota production system, which revolutionized the way that operations were had. They were able to bring cars to market here in the U.S. that trounced the American automakers. And the way they did it was with a tiny piece of cord that they strung along their factory floor called an Andon cord. And when you found a defect in the car that you were working on at your station, you would pull the cord and it would stop the production line. And so all the managers would come out, and everyone would come out, and they'd literally walk up the line to find the root cause of that problem, solve it at the source, and then restart the line. Now, Matt, even though American automakers knew about this system for like years, probably even decades, they refused to do that, because they had in their minds, we can't stop the line. Stopping the line is a loss of productivity. No, having an error way up the river that's always trickling down—that is the loss in productivity. And they could, even though they knew it, they knew how the Japanese were crushing them. They still couldn't get over themselves to adopt their system. You tell me why, but I have a feeling it probably has to do with ego on some level.
0: Yeah, and there's a you know there's a, a, phrase, a saying that. Um, you know, treating the symptoms rarely affects the cause. And, exactly. And, you know, and that same, that same, there's an interesting, we did a, a movie night episode where we uh, watched, we all watched the Henry Ford documentary. And later in that, at one point there was a story where they, the, Later way down the road, the Ford manufacturers went over to Honda or Toyota or whatever. And the, apparently at the end of the, the American assembly line, they would have to beat the door into place, like to get yes. on there. And this is a pretty famous story actually. And the, the, the American automakers were so amazed that they didn't have to do that for that last step. And, um, they basically asked why, uh, you know, why don't you have to do that? And the, and they were, st- the, the, the. the the people in the Japanese factory said, well, it started with the way that we planned and designed it. We shouldn't have to beat something into place in the last step. So, you know, when it comes to the honest to greatness approach, does does is this all rooted in that planning phase and making sure that you have, that your approach is solid before you begin? Is, I mean, is that, is that the, the key? Is it, is it being, you know, having, I always say our best employees have always been great right away. So Mm -hmm. do we need to be great right away as an organization, or is that something that is just as fixable halfway down the road?
1: You know, the reason why I wrote this book, Matt, is because I was coming in as a marketing strategist most of the time. And there was already a problem in the culture of the leadership team and in the minds of the leaders Me, to me, going to the root cause analysis of me being more effective meant going directly to the executives and helping them understand how to be better leaders. That was the start, right? So when you ask like, you know, is it in the planning? Yes. And what happens before that having really good habits that leads to good planning. But what happens before that? Having a really great mindset and having really good, you know, I call them bumpers in a bowling lane that keep you on track and prevent you from veering off. You know, we talk about like an and on cord. One time I was in the guts of a building in uh, Times Square. It was a few years ago at Ad Week New York. And I was writing for Inc. Magazine at the time and I was interviewing Bethany Frankel. Uh, Bethany Frankel was uh, the real housewife of New York, it was like broke 30 something and ended up selling her alcohol business for like 100 million dollars. Right. Very successful. And she was telling me in the interview, like, I am super honest about what I don't know. Like, I just admit it. Right? I don't have any bones about it. Not 15 minutes later, she's up on a panel, the only woman, all white dude ad execs. And one of the execs said a word she didn't understand. And she stopped the entire panel, like, oh, stood up, like, right, hold on, everybody stop, stop, stop. What is that word? I don't know what that word means. That, that woman, that leader has an Andon cord in her mind. Whenever she doesn't understand something, she's honest about it. She pulls that cord, And you can imagine living a life of continually opening your mind to how stupid you are actually makes you quite smart. In fact, that's one of the things that are, all the leaders I talk about in the book has in common, from Ray Dalio at Bridgewater Associates, you know, who built the largest hedge fund in the world by being brutally honest and, and having people be honest with them in return, to Quicken Loans that believes it's not about you know, uh, who is right, it's about what is right. And they're always obsessed with what's the truth at the bottom, no matter who brings the idea. So all of these things are, are beliefs and habits that build on each other and, and expand into really good practices.
0: You, you have a good point. And some of this I talked about in my in my book, Balance Me, which is about finding some change to better your personal, professional, physical life. But literally on the first page of that book, and I'll read to you, there's a few things that I that I establish that because if you can't do these couple things, then I'm, you're not going to like the book. It's not going to help you. Mm-hmm. But it, that, that making real change in your life is not an easy process. Number two the change involves acknowledging that you might be part of the problem and three true improvement and lasting change involve time and periodic review and adjustment, which supports everything you just said. Um, but you know, and and so here's the thing is like, if you can't accept that you might be the one that needs to change, then you making it very difficult for anyone to help you. Um, is, as part of your outlook on this? Like, so let's say that I own a business and I'm having a lot of problems and I'm not mm-hmm. communicating. How do you deal with the leaders that don't seem like they want to change? How do you, how do you, how do you honest to greatness that, that person?
1: You know, what's funny is that one of the conversations I've been having with like my publishing team and publicist team is like this book carries with it an inherent natural selection. What I mean by that is the people who are already either curious about honesty or want to be more honest or understand how powerful honesty is are going to pick up the book. And everyone who insists they already are honest will not. And by the way, those are the people who probably most need to read it. It's like whenever I meet someone who says they're self-aware, those are usually the least self-aware people, right? (laughs) Because I will stand here, Matt, and tell you I am not particularly honest. I am not particularly self-aware. And my wife gets mad at me when I say that on podcast. She's like, you can't say that because you're the author of the book. I'm like, no, that's my whole point. As soon as I start saying, like, I'm some, you know, pious, honest, and transparent person, I've lost, I've lost my own mental game. Done. Right? That's not how this works. This works on ever higher levels. So the question is, like, I'm going to reframe a little to how do you make this work? In an organization, because to your point, if you're a leader who says, yeah, we probably could be a lot more honest, I could be a lot more honest, my organization can benefit from the strategies I talk about in the book, it's kind of easy. You pull everyone together, you say, hey, our core values suck, we're not even abiding by them. I suck, we suck, we all suck, we need to do something better and different, and here's how we're going to do that, and I need your help to hold me accountable, right? Not easy, but but simple. On the other hand, let's say you're a, a, a middle manager, a frontline employee, you, by the way, frontline employees always, always, always know the truth. They know what is going on. They know what's going on with customers. They know what's going on with the operations. They are usually so much more in tune than executives. And I have proven that over like hundreds of organizations that I've worked in. Okay. So the question is, can they make real change? And the question is, yes, but the techniques are going to be different, right? If you're a frontline employee, then you can't just march into the CEO's office and say like, Hey, uh, you know, I think you're a lying sack of shit and I think we need to make some changes around here because this this isn't efficient, blah, blah, blah. That's probably going to get you fired. But you can do two really powerful things. One is don't go it alone. You know, build a coalition of support. Cross-departmental group of people who come together to talk about how could this honestly be better? What are we honestly denying here? Some truths that we need to capitalize on. The second thing is use data. Use comparison data. So what's interesting is many of uh the executives out there love to do one very odd thing which is they look around and they say okay how are we going to win in this industry like how are we going to dominate our competitors ooh i know let's go look at what our competitors are doing and do that which like is tot- like a completely dishonest strategy right makes absolutely no sense and yet um for better or worse we can actually use this to our advantage because while they're busy looking around at what everyone else is doing it gives someone from inside the organization an opportunity to bring data about how honesty works. And there is case study after case study in my book of leaders and organizations that use honesty as a strategy, right? So if you bring these stories then it gets kind of hard to ignore. Um, in fact, there's an entire organization called Just Capital that ranks, it's just 100, the top 100 companies and how they're performing, you know, they call it justly, right? Honestly, transparency. Are they taking care of their employees? Are they taking care of the environment? You know, all these issues that that we consumers care about. So, you know, there are techniques to ma- to help make others change, but I'll tell you the way to not make them change, which is to argue them point for point, which is what's going on now with like mask wearing, what's going on with like all the protests. What's, you know, I think we've proven That when we just assault someone else's ego and try to argue them down, it doesn't work, people. Like, we need better, more honest strategies than that.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. You know, no. Once again with me today, Peter Cosadoy, TEDx speaker, author of Honest to Greatness. Scroll down, click the link in the show notes. Go learn more about him at petercosadoy.com. You got a good website, man. There's a lot of info in here and a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, Once again, speaking of the internet, today's episode of Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. All right. So we're talking about the honest to greatness approach and what you just mentioned, uh, you know, the straightforward nature of all of it is great. Um, That said, it's not as easily applied. And that's kind of what we're talking about now. Um, I did quote my book, Balance Me, earlier. I have a whole chapter in that related to personality styles. It's something that I talk about quite a bit because I think as a speaker, a leader, or someone that wants to be heard, uh, it's important that you have some basic understanding on how to communicate, how to be better heard by your audience. And if you talk to someone that's like a TEDx speaker, for example, that you, dude, how many times has someone said to you, well, you got to know your audience. That's like the, that's like the only thing that, that public speakers say to me regularly. Like I hear that they sound like a parrot, you know, but it's true. And the thing is, is your recipient um, for a lot of people, like I don't have a hard time being, having that straightforward approach. It's just kind of wired into me. Now, my wife, on the other hand, is the opposite of that. So if I don't deliver my message or my objection appropriately, I immediately run into this like massive wall. Mm -hmm. And you talk about the stroking of egos or the attempted destruction of them. You know, how much of, of your approach, it can be molded, changed or restructured to work for different audiences, different personality styles, different recipients.
1: I mean, if, if honesty is the best policy, then it has to work universally. And I truly believe it does, you know, and I, I, have literally have a chapter in my book for how does it work in sales? By the way, when it sounds like when you're having a conversation with your wife, that's a sales, I mean, you're selling her on something, right? Whether you're, whether you sure. want to go to dinner or and whatever. And I say
0: that too. Yeah. yeah. I say um, that too. Like we're, we're putting our kids in virtual school. She's like, what's the curriculum? I'm like sales, <laughs> commerce, <laughs> yeah. math coding she's like okay these are that's a five-year-old but yeah, yeah.
1: All, right. <laughs> all the more reason to start on the no um you know does honesty work in marketing yes does it work in finance yes does it work in operations yes leadership yes management yes i mean it works in all of those places but it really comes down to the the central framework map that i talk about in the book that i call the hourglass of honesty and it works like this if you can get honest about what's going on in the community, you know, in society. Right, right now, we live in pandemic, uh, racial discrimination, gender bias. I mean, all these like big, heady issues that have kind of descended on us this year. We operate in this environment. We have to be honest about that and make sure that we're not sort of tone deaf. Right. The other, you know, the next level is be honest with and about others, and we've touched on this a little bit. You know, sometimes you do have to be honest with people. You know, we do have to level with them. But in that case, we want to not only be honest, but point to the honesty. Hey, do you mind if I'm really direct about this? Because I think it would help you. I tend to be a really honest person. Can you forgive me if I'm really honest with you? Yes. You get permission. You get buy in Really helps. Other times we need to be honest about people. You know, you just talked about your wife, right? And how a lot of times you run into the wall. May, may, there are a couple of things you can try there. One, hey, I want to have this conversation and I don't want to run into the wall. Here's my end objective. How would you approach you if you were me? Super, super powerful question. You actually get them working for you. I have seen this take enemies and build an incredible bridge with it. So something you may want to try and also, you know, feed forward, of course, you know, all right, let's play these three futures out and then let's argue back and forth. Let's switch places. All right, you argue my side, argue your side. When you make it sort of into a game, when you gamify it, it's actually amazing what kind of common ground you can come to versus the natural instinct someone has, which is to be defensive about their point of view. If you can take down the wall, you're good to go. The last stage, Matt, is being honest with and about yourself. And we talked about that, too. It's one of the hardest things to do, but we must do it, especially with the entrepreneurs I work with. Let me tell you, 99% of business problems are personal problems in disguise. And so I run a a monthly program for entrepreneurs called Forum. You know, we get together. It's 100% confidential. And the whole idea is we get super honest and vulnerable about what's really going on in our business lives, personal lives, and family lives. And each month we do a presentation. You know, someone comes and presents a challenge and gets gets experiences from the other folks in the forum, and it is remarkable how, literally every single time, a business problem like I need to increase sales, or uh, I don't know if my marketing is working, or I don't know if I should hire and fire this employee, is related to some personal anxiety, childhood trauma, self-limiting belief. It is remarkable how when we trace it back, it always comes back to what's going on in our head. So, you know, earlier, I think I heard you say something about like, you know, if it's our fault, well, there's no if. It, it being life, the life we're leading is always our fault for better or worse. Why? Because we are the only things we can change in it. And I think that's an honesty that people need to confront more than they do.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And it, it's taken me a while. I'm 45 now. And I, the brute, I realized, so I went, I was similar Has a story similar to you. I was great at being brutally honest to other people. <laughs> Why I might not have been brutally honest to myself, and, been there. uh, that it's, it, well, that's gotta start there and that's important. Now there's a couple of things. I made a couple notes cause we were talking about the wall, like mm-hmm. putting up the wall. So, and I used my wife, her name's Jill as an example. So we were talking about virtual school and she said, well, I'd like to, because we want to put together our own curriculum because we don't necessarily trust the public schools to get it right because uh, they're doing it so quickly and they have a lot of things to consider. She said, well, I'd still like to have the teacher involved. And it's and it was the way it was my delivery. And what I said, I was like, I don't understand what a teacher that doesn't spend any time around our kid is going to have to say about our kid. <laughs> And it was a shitty delivery. And I, she threw the wall up and was like, well, I don't understand why you're being so negative about it. I wasn't really intending to be negative. I was just like, yep. so, so, but, but the case in point is, is if I had delivered that differently, kind of like you were saying, like, and I like that the point that you made about how would you handle it if you were me? Well, so, and, and that it's, and I immediately caught myself there at the kitchen table. I said, you know what? I said, let me rephrase (laughs) because I knew that the wall was up. But the point is, is once, once you get the people get those defenses up, they have stopped fucking listening. It's over for you because I had to spend the next 10 minutes trying to get the wall down. And even after talking about something completely different, it was still there. It's, it's, it's worse good.
1: than that because it's not only that yep. they stopped listening. It's that now they're convinced they're right and they have to prove it.
0: Right. Or they're just generally just not wanting to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Whatever you want to call that, that is a reality. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that we talk about being brutally honest with yourself and about your business, this is a serious uh, uh, fail boat captain move here. Is when you won't be honest about the people that work at your own business. Uh-huh. And uh, one of my favorite episodes of Startup Hustle is titled The CEO Whisperer. And we had Cameron Harold. Cameron's Cameron was the COO of 1 800 Got Junk. Yep. He's done a lot of different stuff. Coming do you know who Cameron that. is? I do, yeah. Okay, so yeah, Cameron's a cool dude, man. And he's very, oh, he is honest to great, like in many ways. But one of the things we talked about was employees. So now he's not a, C- he's not a CEO, he's a COO. Mm-hmm. And his job is to push people to greatness. And that's kind of what he's selling. But he talked about employees and something that, that my often co-host, Matt Watson, and I have said ever since then, he says, you have three types of employees. You have racehorses, workhorses, and those ready for the glue factory. <laughs> And, and but here's the thing. He's right. He's like, you need racehorses, but not everybody's a racehorse. Like workhorses are important too. But when you have to be honest and open with yourself about your business, about your leadership and about your ability to handle tough, unpopular or lame situations. So you're not doing, if, if you know, you've got an organization full of glue factory horses, you need to clear the stable out. And, uh, the failure to do that, you talk about business. So right now this is a huge fucking problem for business people. Cause look, I love the people that work for me. I do most of them. If close to all of them do an amazing job, mm-hmm. I have 200 employees and I would be lying if I told you that all 200 of them were racehorses, right? So you have to be honest about what is pulling you down what's dragging you is that do you and do you want your racehorse out in the field pulling a plow Yep. so you know so it it is part of the honest to greatness approach about that like figuring out like saying like okay this is what truly sucks about my company it's these people. And then oftentimes people know that and they will e- either never make a change, take forever to make a change. And the, by the way, the course of uh, the ride along that, those two roads is distraction, mm-hmm. like it's filled with distraction because it's the only thing that's in your head. It's weighing you down along the way. So what's your take on that when it comes to personnel?
1: Well, it's distraction and it's opportunity cost. you know, not only is a bad person dragging True. you down, but you're losing the upside of what a great person would have done. There was a great phrase that was told to me far too late in my entrepreneurial journey, which is that if things aren't working in your company, change the people. And if that fails... Change the people, <laughs> and I've re- remembered that ever since. And you know what's funny, Matt, is like for all the the calling myself, you know, such an asshole and a jerk, which, which I do believe is true, and I hope you know you don't tarnish my reputation by saying otherwise. My one fault has been <laughs> has been keeping people for far too long. It, that you know, I just felt bad. It's this, it's that, and you know, I had to be reminded by entrepreneurs far more successful than I am, like Peter, um. Why do you own a business? Well, I own a business because I, you know, I think it'll make me a lot more money and it has a lot more control than my alternatives. Okay, great. Well, is that employee making you money? Is it giving you more control? No? Then what the what the hell are you doing? You know? And they, you know, when it was broken down to like people are inputs, Peter, people are inputs. It really changed my mindset. And I don't think for the worse, I think for the more realistic, as you say. And You know, now I can honestly say I have an amazing team. I love every single one of my team members. I couldn't always say that. And one of the best questions I think we all need to ask ourselves if we employ people is, would I hire this person again right now today? If the answer is no, out, gone. There are other ways to do it. There's automation, there's delegation, there's virtual assistants and workers all around the world. Like there's so many options. We don't need to deal with people who are bringing us down, who aren't doing their job, who aren't helping us, us, all of us succeed.
0: You know, I mentioned earlier that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by FullScale.io. That's the company I own. And we've grown to have 200 employees in just over two years. And when it comes to, well, and here's the thing is we truly have all-stars because we, that's part of what we're selling. Like, do you want top developers? Mm -hmm. Do you want the top people? And then it gets into how do you pick them? And, you know, in the beginning, we weren't as great as we are now. We're really, really exact now. And and so much of it, uh, it had to, when you talk about personnel and being honest, we have to look at someone's technical skills. And that's the way we did it in the beginning. But we weren't looking at the other intangible things that are hard to, that are hard to grade in an online coding test. And so much of that had to do with communication. It had to do with passion. And, you know, like I'm gonna stop there because if you have people that work at your business that aren't passionate either about what they do at the business or the business they're probably the wrong people because they're there they're going through the motions and they're doing stuff that's not a workhorse a workhorse is someone like you have someone and you need workhorses at your business because those are those task hounds that just demolish to-do lists and, and get other stuff done. The racehorse is out there running up front, like grabbing money and deals and sales and stuff like that. So, you know, it's a, but, but, you know, part of it is, is you will find if you get real honest with yourself that all of your race and workhorse level, uh, uh, team members are passionate. They're Mm -hmm. passionate either about their, their, and you know what, here's the thing. They might just be passionate about writing code, right? But they're passionate about that. So it makes them want to do it. And it gets them through the moments when things aren't comfortable, life sucks, or a situation where they get honest and open feedback. And Mm -hmm. that's a tough thing for some people, especially people that build something or design things or whatever. Like you look at like a graphic designer, like, the a good graph uh, the smart and successful graphic designers that I know make ten versions because they know that nine of them are going in the trash, right. And that's the easiest way to get to the one that doesn't. The ones that I know that aren't successful, they come up with one draft. They send it to the client and then they're shitty when the client's like, I don't like this, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, there's, there's a lot to be said about the way you look at it and your approach and a lot of different stuff. Now, once again with me today, Peter Cazadoi, Peter is the author of honest to greatness. The book is out. So go buy it. You can get it. Click links in the show notes, go figure it out. I think that this topic and this whole approach is if it's not your strong suit you should buy this book and get some input about it because it needs something you need to get better at uh self-deception is pretty much the worst kind of deception and then it leads to a waterfall of bullshit chaos and failure and i'm not saying failure is wrong failure is okay you get up off the mat fail faster get it done what you shouldn't fail at is being honest about what's going on. Um, you mentioned earlier, starting a business in 2008. At the time I was still working for Roland and I was uh, traveling around the country. I was watching music stores fail, go out of business. Mm-hmm. Everything was changing. E-commerce was coming up. And the one observation that I made on so many different businesses was they were saying things like, well, if things were just like they used to be, no way." if you ever say that, Done. you're it's cause you're done. Yep. You're over. Like, totally. what are you waiting for? And I see too many people that, Oh, well, the, Hey, Peter, that by the way, dude, uh, the ship is headed to the rocks. <laughs> we're going to hit the rocks and we're probably going to sink, but you want to go up front and watch with me? <laughs> yeah, you know, that's like not the right way to do it. It's yep. like, not the right way to do it. Mm-hmm. So, and if you want to be really binary, you get to sink or swim. It's yep. not because the middle is still you underwater and you have sunk enough to drown. So all right. So Peter, thanks again for spending some time with me today. We end episodes of Startup Hustle with what we call the founders freestyle. I'm gonna guide your freestyle a little bit because I'm curious about about what if you could if you could give us a bit of an outro on what the one or two things that you think are most important for early stage companies when it comes to honest to greatness.
1: Oh gosh, number one by far and away is to get honest about what even makes a good business in the first place. So much of the work I do, Matt, with founders is the fundamentals, like literally the foundation of the business. What, Who is the exact customer you're serving? What is the exact problem that you're solving? What is your exact solution in steps? Can you articulate it? How are you going to build a new business development program? Do you even understand the difference between sales and marketing? You know, so often people don't even like get, listen, I built a million dollar company, then decided I was stupid and went back to school to get an MBA at Columbia. Turns out I was right. I was a fucking moron. I mean, there was so much about the basics of business that I didn't get. And when I looked at my company and the issues, I was like, oh. No wonder like, I built the company. I built a two, two family house. And then I'm like, why can't I build the skyscraper yet? Where is it? You know, it's just like, so get honest about what it even takes to build a company. And finally, get honest about the fact that nobody does this alone. Many of the startup stories that go on to be wild successes. If you really dig deep behind them telling everyone they're awesome, it's because they had some hand up, some mentor, someone who had done something similar, someone with an industry connection. You need connections, you know, you need people. This is business doesn't happen without people. It's all about the people. That's why we're talking about honesty with the self and with others, right? It all comes full circle. So those would be my two, Matt.
0: So and I didn't mention earlier, you're in New York. The last time I was in New York, it's been a few years, but I was in Times Square as well. And I stopped, I was in the building that, I was in the office right across the hall from what is now known as Snapchat. Mm -hmm. And I uh, visited with a guy named Kirk McDonald and he said something to me that I never forgot. And I've talked about this quite a bit recently because I think it's important. And I'm constantly reviewing my old notes and things and trying to figure out where I suck, you know, and telling myself, Mm -hmm. but um, one of the things, you know, that I think that goes well with what you said earlier is he he said, hey Matt, what's easier Asking the people on top to pull you up, or climbing the mountain yourself. And I was like, "Holy shit, you're so right." And here's it. And then he said, "He goes, now the one thing that you'll figure out with that approach is there's always someone." that's at a higher point than you are. Someone, always someone to look around to pull you up. Absolutely. You also need to keep in mind that those same people have an amazing leverage point if they choose to kick you back down. (laughs) Now, now that's true. But at the same point, you know, hey, pull me up is one thing, the thing, and I've been doing that ever since. And just to validate the whole honest to greatness approach. I think the one, okay. Other than, the one thing that I hear most is I love your energy, Matt, because I'm very passionate and have a lot of energy. So that I get pretty much universally. You can't get out of a, you can't get out of a room with me without feeling that whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but the next part is that I always get is what, well, you know, you really transparent and open about stuff. And I got to say that I, I want to encourage everyone to have that approach because the people that don't appreciate it are, aren't are usually the people that you want to pull you up. They're usually not the people you want at your business, and they are the people that will also license you to lie to yourself about stuff. And. Yeah, we've talked a lot about employees, we've talked a lot about the people that are around you. Now look, you you're hopefully you're smart enough to have learned or heard at one point that you really only become as great as the people around you. So if you insulate yourself with a bunch of yes people or people that don't want to tell the truth or people that who don't understand, like when you yeah, well, right. And that's the whole point. So you got to be honest with that and clear that out of the way. And I think that it's important to also do a regular review where you just literally sit down, sit in a room, turn everything off, be really fucking quiet, and ask yourself, where am I the problem? So, where powerful. am I fucking this up for myself? Or for anyone else, where am I the blocker? Where am I not making a decision that I need to make? What can I do better, faster, or cheaper? What can I do ten times better? What can I do ten times less? Maybe what can I quit doing altogether?
1: I love that. Question. And those
0: things require—they well—they require a, a very straightforward set of on—you know—that on. If you want to achieve greatness, you are gonna have to learn how to be really honest with yourself. And it starts there because right. without that, any of this other stuff is impossible. So exactly. uh, I went a little, a, a little on, I'm going to actually give the mic back to you <laughs> one more time. <laughs> well, and I a don't very need un, un, <laughs> Founders freestyle. I mean, do you have anything that you'd want to say there? Because I, no, I, I felt I, like I, wanna, I, I touched a lot of the things you hit along the, uh, the episode.
1: You, well, you, you absolutely nailed it, Matt. And, you know, I think, I think these concepts are, are simple and straightforward and make logical sense. And, and they're not easy. Only because folks don't give them and they don't think about it enough. It's like, oh, yeah, of course, honesty is the best policy. And then they lie to themselves about everything, right? Uh, I think one of the most important things I want to leave folks with is honesty is about omission. What are you taking away? You know, what flaws are you removing? What, what limiting beliefs are you removing to let what's true come through? And that when you don't, you're back to your earlier point about like, ask for a hand up. When you aren't honest about those things, there is an opportunity cost. It is costing you. So don't for a second think it's safe to just simply sit in your own self-limiting bullshit and, you know, not ask, you know, where's the shower head? Because that's what we all need.
0: Yeah, I agree. And. I will close this out now. You've used the word opportunity cost a couple times. It's probably the most important business principle that I learned. At one point, I went to a top 10 business school. And I will tell you that that, that truly learning to understand opportunity cost was without a doubt the most valuable thing I got out of my experience there. And opportunity cost is defined as the value of what you didn't choose to do. That's right. The foregone, the foregone whatever. And it's and it's impossible to measure in a, in a truly quantifiable way because uh, sometimes like what's the like right now. OK, I chose to do this podcast. My wife and kids went to the pool. That there's opportunity costs. I don't know what that is. And I don't know. There's really no way to like put that in a spreadsheet and, and build a ratio around it. But anytime you choose to do one thing, you're choosing to not do something else. So choose to be honest, choose to be open, choose to be a realist. That's right. I'll see you next time. Thanks, sir. Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.